faster, stronger, smarter. Coach Stephanie explores the art and science of ketogenic diets to optimize athletic performance. Welcome to the Keto Endurance Podcast. Joining in at the Keto Endurance Podcast, I'm here with Dr. Sean Baker, and he started the carnivore study to really study how our bodies adapt to eating an all-meat diet. And I am a participant in the carnivore study, and it's going really well. So welcome, Sean. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you very much. So the um, tell me a little bit about the history of how you found out about Zero Carb and how long you've been following it before you decided to start the study. Yeah, so I had, you know, I had about five, five, six, about six years ago, I, I noticed my health kind of started to not go where I wanted it to. I've been an athlete my whole life, and despite still training very hard, I was developing health problems, and so I switched my diet. So I, I basically went through an evolution where I just went from a, uh, you know, a, a reduced calorie, high ex- exercise output, which wasn't very sustainable for very long, and then I. Then I went into a paleo diet, then a, then a low-carb, high-fat diet, then a ketogenic diet. And then finally, uh, at the end of the last year, I, I started this full-time carnivore diet, zero-carb diet. I'd, I'd experimented with, with kind of stretches of that throughout the year before. So I'd say I would go six, seven days in a row to see steak and eggs for a while, kind of modeling some of the old bodybuilding diets that were sort of uh, uh, put forth by guys like Vince Garanda and some of the other bodybuilders like uh, Larry Scott was an old bodybuilder that ate a big meat diet. He won Mr. Olympia the first time. but So I did that and I played with that and then I just kind of said I'm going to do it for 30 days and, and I just noticed a really, really significant change in, in, in health for, from, from a positive benefit. So the 30 days were over. I said, well, I've done with 30 days. I'll go back eating keto and I ate a few things. I just had a you know, I just didn't feel as good. So I said, well, I'll go back to eating meat. And so I just kind of kept going with that. Now I've done it and I'm going into my 10th month now. And uh, I mean, literally every single. Faster, stronger, smarter. Coach Stephanie explores the art and science of ketogenic diets to optimize athletic performance. Welcome to the Keto Endurance Podcast. Month, I noticed an improvement, something from some sort of health related issue. And right now I'm I'm pretty darn healthy, but the only thing I've got left that I'm looking at for my health issues, I've got you know, just these minor little age-related skin changes, which I keep seeing go away, which is, you know, that's nice. When you when you see things, you know, you get to over 50, you start seeing things that your skin starts to have problems. I think that's a pretty good reflection of your overall health. In addition to that, I'm, I'm a very competitive athlete. I've been able to make a number of world records. I uh, constitute rowing machine currently. I currently hold three other world records. And I keep getting faster and faster and faster. And it's not that I have trained any more than I always have. It's just that I think the diet is allowing me better recovery and better performance and less aches and pains. And so those things add up to better performance. But, you know, when I was putting this out there, I was just kind of saying, hey, this is what's happening with me. And I think it's pretty interesting. And then people would say, well, you're, you know, that's interesting, but you're just, uh, you know, you're an N equals one. You're a, you're a, you're an outlier. You're you're obviously a genetic weirdo. And and I was saying, well, wait a minute. I've read about a lot of other people's inside. Like, you know, I was looking at some of these other zero carb groups on the internet, zero carb Zen, and and, and zero and and on health and zero carb health. And there's one called Principia Carnivore. And there's there's a few others out there. But I was just kind of reading these people's stories, and I was really sort of taken aback by what I was seeing. And so it sounded, you know, almost too good to be true, except I was experiencing the same things for myself. And so I said, this this deserves, this merits further 
study. And so I just kind of informally asked people, hey, would you be interested in eating meat for, you know, I use ribeye steaks for, for a study and how many people would do that? I got four or 500 people said, hey, yeah, I'd love to do that, you know, because people like it. So then we kind of, you know, I met with another fellow by the name of Matt Mayer, who's got a little bit of an entrepreneurial uh, background and he's very good with computer stuff. And so me and him, he and I met and, and we, we, we were both kind of thinking of the same thing. We said, there's a lot of people out there that like to self-experiment. And the problem is that's all it goes for. You know, everybody says, okay, it's just a self-experiment. It's only applicable to you. And we said, well, we're learning some interesting information from these self-experiments. What if we sort of bring these people together and then just kind of have them follow the same protocol and they can do their own self-experimentation and record what they want. And let's just see what the results are. And so we developed a, you know, I developed a little website. Well, I just sent out an email first. We read it. I just made an email address. It's kind of interesting because Matt, he says, well, don't put, don't put a lot of, don't invest a lot of resources in it. Just see who's interested. So, okay, I'll open up an email account. And I got four or 500 people. Hey, I'm not interested in this. And so we said, okay, let's build a little website now. So we built a little website. And again, I, I, you know, I built a website. I have no background in website design. So I was kind of like, how the hell do I do this? And so I just kind of try to put it together and I'm slowly learning a little bit here and there. So it's not the best website in the world, but it, it's serving its function for the time being. And hopefully we'll upgrade it and it'll get better and better with time. And then that, you know, then as it, we started saying, who wants to be involved in this study? As we started getting hundreds and hundreds of people. Matt was like, okay, now we need to we need to develop some sort of app or some sort of tracking tool. And so he went and developed that. And so that's you know kind of where we're at now. We've started. We're about two weeks. Actually, I think today's 15 day of a 90 day trial. We've got you know I think all told 115 close, maybe maybe a little more than that right now because back in that we're we're logging initially maybe 175 that are going for 90 days and doing this and you know they're reporting in and we're seeing some. You know, some people are saying, hey, I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm not adapting yet. You know, and that's typical. And I think there's some people that, depending on what their background is, but a larger percentage of them are saying, yeah, I'm, this is easy. I'm feeling really good. My energy is great. My depression is better. My joints are already feeling better. So it's kind of interesting to see how things, how things go and how long does it take you to adapt to this and what kind of problems are people going to have and so on and so forth. So that's that's where we're at right now. That's awesome. Well, your background sounds a lot like my background. I had uh, done endurance sports, and I did the high-carb, low-fat thing, trying to get leaner and faster, and I only got fatter and slower and injured. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think you know, this is an under, underappreciated um, topic, which I think some people are starting to give a little more credence to, but, you know, from an injury standpoint, I think diet plays a role in that. You know, if you're eating a poor diet, it affects your tissues, and those oh, yeah. tissues are more susceptible to injury. There's people that just don't seem to think that's possible. They think that just because you're an athlete that works out hard, you can chug Gatorade and sugary stuff, and you're fine. And I think that's that's not the case. You might be able to tolerate that stuff better, but I think it's it's overall it's causing you know, it accumulates over time, and it may not catch you in your first three or four or five years of your career, but 10, 15 years down the road, you know, this is where you start seeing people, they develop an injury, which often is career-threatening, or they just, their performance goes down. And so I think what I found, you know, at age 50 is I am literally, and I, you know, I, I don't want to embellish this, but I'm literally, I'm going backwards in time as far well, as my I am performance. Too. I just keep getting faster and stronger, which is, you know, it's not to say that, you know, sure, if you get in better shape, I was already... I was already pushing world class numbers, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going better beyond that. So that's 
That's interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 and it's not it's not the unusual stories. It seems to be the more people I hear about that, the more people I see are saying the same thing. So it's just, you know, continues to be very interesting and intriguing. Yeah, I'm 48 and I'm getting faster and uh, and better and leaner. And when I was following low carb and I would do like sometimes cheat uh, with like, you know, desserts and alcohol. And it, as soon as I ate any sugar, it's like, poof, I uh, puffed back up again. But this so far has been, um, I sticking to ribeyes has been great. And I just this had a, rode my bike this morning and I had some, I don't, are you familiar with Strava? Uh, I know it's a tracking tool, but I, I'm not a bicycle rider, so I know people are using that, a lot of that to, to, to put in their information, yeah. So Strava has segments that you are competing against yourself. Yeah. And uh, today I had a lot of segments that I had uh, personal records on. And so obviously it's not hurting me going faster. I know someone had posted something on Twitter about salt. And for me, because I live in Arizona and I'm riding for a couple hours at a time, I can tell when I run out of electrolytes. Like, all of a sudden, I go, Arr. so uh, that's definitely something that I have to have is salt. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I fairly liberally salt my food. I enjoy the taste of it, and I think, you know, I, I, and again, I, I, I've made this point on several other podcasts. I just try to, you know, I think we are just simple animals, and are we have we're supposed to have the, 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 the sort of the feedback mechanisms to regulate what we need, and I think. You know, if you're on the right diet and eating to society, eating when you're hungry, solving appropriately based on how, you know, how, how you perceive you need it. And then, and then the same thing with fluids. I mean, just drink when you're thirsty. And it's, it's, it's almost as though that is a radical idea, but it only applies to humans. You know, if you were to look at any other animal in the world, you know, if, the, if, if a deer is, you know, wants salt, or look at salt lake or find it, figure out, figure out a way to get salt if it's hungry to eat. You know, if an animal is hungry and it's a, if it's a, predator it'll hunt you know and it's it's just so basic but all of a sudden just because we've got a little bit more folds in our in our in our brain you know we have a little bit more intelligence now we're suddenly we don't do that and so to me it, it just you know and, and, and it all the more we study nutrition you know we, we learn more and more about chemistry and we're like aha this is it but it never works out we just we did we try to you know we try to make all these grand proclamations and develop this perfect diet that you know, has this many of this and this many of that and that micronutrient and this macronutrient ratio. And we're like, that's not how it, any other animal on planet works. And why should we be different? And so, you know, I, I just, you know, and, and people think that simplicity is, is something that's, you know, this is crazy. And, and, you know, we're seeing the effects of what it does. I mean, anybody who's done this diet for, you know, several months, Almost all of them. Now, there's a few people that will say, I just didn't, I, I missed the, the whatever carbohydrate thing, but the vast majority of those people are saying, wow, I feel really, really good. Wow, my health is in a really good place now relative to where it was. And so I think that's unique among any other, you know, diet I've seen, you know, long term. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, this is still, again, I think it just needs study. I agree. And there's people who've been following zero carb for years. They just have. You know, thankfully for social media, they're able to, you know, voice it. But some of them have been follow zero carb because of their health. And they thought they were all alone, that there weren't other people out there like them. 
which is so eight, 10 years, some people have been eating like this. So obviously it hasn't hurt them. They're, you know, 10 years down the road. And they're yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously people that, I mean, there's modern day examples of a guy that went 50 years. There's a family that's gone. And I don't, you know, there, I don't put names out because sometimes right, I know who you're talking about, but yeah, yeah 19, 19 years now, but nothing would, you know, steak once, you know, much of steak, everything. That's it. They're, they're, they, I mean, if you look at these people, they look, as good. They look good, right? It's incredible. Uh, but I mean, I think that is. There's been you know, meat has been stigmatized for a long time, and it's it's almost seen as an evil thing to to do what we're designed to do. And I think it's 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 just becoming crazy. And I think the vegan movement is really. I mean, they you know it really appeals to young kids uh, to take this up. You know, as, as a way to be different sometimes. And, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it for the animals. And, you know, and you and I know none of us want animals to be injured or treated, mistreated. But at the same time, we still have to eat. And we still have to eat what we're biologically designed for. It's not like we're out there mistreating animals intentionally, you know. And, then, you know, if you look at any mass-produced food, I don't care if it's cows, chickens, pigs, you know, spinach, wheat, there are problems with making those the masses, whether it's a pesticides, whether it's a deforestation, you have to do the clear those lines. So any food you're going to eat in mass produced numbers to feed the human population has its problems. The problem is people will say, well, I don't like animals being killed, so I'm going to focus on that. And that's where the intention is. And I think, as you know, uh, there are a lot of people that adopt these vegetarian and vegan diets that, they can only, 84% of the people we know give them up because they just can't do it just because, and, and the main reason they quit is they, they cite health reasons. And I think what we see is a lot of young people that are, that still have a lot of physiologic reserve. They're young. They're still pretty healthy. They, don't, they haven't had any kind of real issues and they, they can do it for a while and they can send a lot of them are good. I think it's supplement really well and they can really pick their, their meals and they can make it worse, work for a while. But, the vast majority of them give, them, give them a decade, you know, give them four years, three years. They just say, it just made me sick. You know, and I think that's a, you know, I think the fact that we're, that we're, we're pushing for that, you know, we see this this big push for synthetic meat and plant-based meat. Oh, which is disgusting. It's made out of soybeans and vegetable oils and all this wheat gluten. And it's just ridiculous. It's a chemical mess that they want us to eat instead of something that's, you know, completely you know, what we're designed to eat, so it's amazing. Are you familiar, have you heard of the Savory Institute? Yeah, Alan Savory, I watch, he's got a great TEDx talk, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know I think, I, again, I think that, uh, you know, I think that obviously that needs further study and it needs to be tested, and I know people that are doing that with good result, and I think, you know, look, I talked to Peter Ballastad about it, hey, what would it take to feed everybody one pound of meat a day in the world? And he ran some numbers, and he thinks if we produced, if we increased our world cattle production by about 93%, so doubling it, and, and increased their efficiency of what we have today, we could feed the world population one pound of meat a day, which would be so much more nutrition than they get now. I mean, right oh, now, yeah. the U.S. population eats about a quarter pound of meat a day. So you're talking about four times what the U.S. would eat with just doubling the, the cattle population, because most of the world, like the huge cattle herds and and Asia don't really even get utilized. And so we've got this uh, giant resource that we can, we can improve. We've got all this range land and all this pasture that we can utilize. Uh, and we've only got so much cropland, so much land that will support crops. And we're going to try to farm the heck out of that and ruin the soil. And it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow up on us. Have you, uh, well, Joe Soliton, uh, 
you know, Savory, Alan Savory, his big thing is reversing desertification. And Joel Sullivan is one of his um, students. And he has the Polyface Farm in Virginia. But he said we could reverse global warming completely in 10 years to pre-industrial levels if they just take up holistic agriculture and produce ruminants. So, like, for me, that's like I am doing zero carb because I want to be healthier. But as a secondary thing, I want them to pr – I want – to show like, hey, you could eat meat and it's good for the environment because that's, I think, a, a pretty big deal. Feeding people and making sure through um, uh, this, you know, holistic agricultural practices, it helps waterways, it helps um, feed people, it helps other animals in the area. When you kill a cow, you f you're feeding a family of four for probably six to eight months. When you plow a field, you're killing all kinds of little like rabbits and skunks and lizards and chopping them up into little pieces. And the only thing that can live there are the plants that they're growing that they're using a lot of herbicides and pesticides to keep alive. So I think that, you know, if you really care about the environment and care, care about animals, you want to promote holistic agriculture and eating meat. Yeah, I think it's an important to get out. I think, I think hopefully, you know, like I said, since I started, you know, I don't want to take credit for this, but since I started being more, you know, as, as a physician, I'm out there saying, hey, this is fine to do. Right. I think we've seen more people that are, that are more willing to come out on social media and say, look, I'm doing it too, and I'm happy to do it, and my health is better, and I'm proud to do it. I think more people have to step up and say, look, I don't want this plant-based vegan agenda to dominate our policy. I don't want my kids to be not allowed to eat a hamburger, you know, or not allowed to eat bread. Right. You know, I think that's because I think we're, we're going to be robbing our kids' future of their health. Now, again, there are there are environmental issues, you know, they, they just need to be approved. You know, I think farming as a whole needs to be approved, you know, whether it's pesticides, whether it's uh, confinement of, of animal feed, chickens, and so I think those things can be approved on, but the answer is not to take all the nutrition out of the diet and, and leave the human race, uh, you know, a sick, frail species that, that you know, I, I accept it. And what we're, we're slowly seeing that is, you know, if you walk outside and, you know, you go to the store, you know, you go to the park, you go to the shopping mall and you look around and it's just person after person after person that's, you know, you can tell they're walking slow, they're sore, they're obese, they're just, you know, you've got all these health issues that are out there, and it's it's endemic. It's not it's not an epidemic. It's endemic. It's what it's who we are now, and people are becoming to accept that. And it's like, you know, what's going to be in 20 years when people reverse? And then it's like, okay, everybody's, you know, are we all going around in scooters? Do we all just start sitting in scooters at age 30 and just and that's our life? You know, it's just like that movie Wally, -E, where everybody's just transported around. And I think, you know, as we sort of let the bar go lower and lower and lower and lower, you know, people just look around and say, well, let's. That's what life is. That's what that's what's normal. And the idea that a pill is going to save them—that's my frustration—is like if you get sick, it's not your diet. It's like you can go to the doctor and get a pill, and it's going to save you. That um, that's a big frustration I have with you know people following any certain diet. Like if a vegan gets cancer, are they thinking, oh well, it's my diet, and I eat, need to eat more like a vegan? I just think, well, you got sick for a reason. There's not... Um, 
Well, I think, you know, just aging in general is just, is just accumulation of disease. And so, you know, you're going to, you know, as you, as you get disease, you age, and as you age, you get disease. Those things come together. But I think the problem with it is, you know, like I said, I think we touched on this before we went on air. You know, medicine is so much money and resources is focused in on the back end of healthcare. You know, we wait until people are sick, and then we've got this pill that can kind of help their symptoms a little bit. And if somebody comes to you and in horrible pain, and you give them a pain medicine, you know, an anti-inflammatory, narcotic, or something like that, and their pain goes away even for six hours, they think that's a good thing. And, and temporarily it might be. It might relieve a lot of stress, but it does zero to prevent that pain. And why, why, do they, why do they develop that in the first place? Why do they develop diabetes in the first place? Why do they develop this autoimmune disorder that we're, paying, that we're spending these millions and millions of dollars to, to, to develop these really expensive drugs that have these, these, real, these interesting interactions that we don't even know all, all what's going on, but it seems to maybe mitigate that by a, by a small percent in some percentage of the patients. And so, you know, the focus is so wrong, and we can't even, and we're, we're getting to a point where we can't even afford it. So these healthcare debates that I see between different political groups on how we're going to fund this and how we're going to fund that, and what's the best health plan, I'm like, it's like, and I, I put this out for us, like painting the Titanic as it's sinking. Um, yes, you know, you gotta, I agree. You got to get out there and stop making so many sick people. And until we figure that out, until we stop subsidizing food, that is clearly making us sick. You know, and, and again, I'm not. Let me go back on that. I don't know for sure what's making us sick. What I will say is that if we start looking at things in a, in a very systematic fashion, say like if I, my assumption is. That is not meat. Meat does not make people sick. I think that people optimally do well as carnivores. That's my hypothesis. I may be wrong, and I'm fine to be wrong. But if I get a bunch of people that do that, and all of them say, or the vast majority of them say, I feel so much better, my health is so much better than it's ever been, then you can probably safely say that particular food is not making you sick. And then you can say, well, is it the sugar? Is it the vegetable oils? You know, is it the, the you know is it the processed carbohydrates? You know, you know all these things that we we, we 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 suppose are giving us problems. You know, is it even a vegetable for some people? Like you know, you and I know that there are people out there that will say vegetables are perfect and there's nothing wrong with them. You eat ten of them a day, and there's other people out there that will swear to you that if they eat some vegetables, whatever it might be, they'll point out a specific vegetable, they will have horrible stomach pain, their knees will hurt. They'll feel miserable, and I'm like, well, maybe there's something in those vegetables. You know, there's so many chemicals in every plant. You know, we just ignore right. those because they're natural. You know, Peter Ballastad, again, I'll use his reference. He, he pointed me to a study out there that says that 99.9% of all pesticides that are, that are consumed by humans are the pesticides that are produced naturally within the plant. So if you're worried about eating pesticides, you're eating the vast majority of them from the plants you consume. And we also know that They've tested like 55 of them, 54 of them, I think, 53 of them. And of those 53 that they tested, and there are thousands of them, but of the 53 they tested, they, they were shown to promote cancer in, in, you know, in mice. Now, that doesn't necessarily extrapolate to human, but you've got these natural pesticides that are known carcinogens to, to mice. You know, and I'm, I don't want to, I want to make sure we know that it's in mice, but, but at the same point, they're like, well, maybe these products in low doses aren't. Good for some people, and so we we just kind of say, well, it, it can't be because it's kale, and kale's health food, and even though it takes. Yeah, I can't eat broccoli because broccoli makes me doubled over in pain. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and the uh, 
people are like, oh, you you just need to eat broccoli. I'm like, well, how can I eat broccoli when I, I couldn't stand up straight because I'm in pain with, you know, abdominal pain. So I and other vegetables don't agree with me that much either. So I I think there's there is some genetic variability uh, to how well you can handle other foods. And I'm definitely not on the spectrum of being able to handle a ton of different, especially, uh, you know, the vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, obviously everybody's going to have a little different experience. There. And I think that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you can look at the bitter, there's a gene, there's some genes that control how well we taste bitter foods. And some people express that more than others. And so some people, you know, a particular vegetable is like, wow, that's really bitter. It doesn't taste good. It tastes good. And some don't have that. You know, even chimpanzees have that same same sort of genetic thing. And some people, some of that's been handed down through, you know, you, you know millions of years of evolution. And so it, it, I think those things play a role. But I mean, generally, it's we all know that we can't digest fiber. Humans just cannot, no mammals can digest fiber. You know, so you have to have this microbiome. And, and you know, again, there's a lot of interest in microbiome right now because, you know, if it's not healthy, then you have health issues that we think may be related to that. Again, there's two. I think people are sort of jumping the gun with that stuff right now, so I think we don't know enough about it yet. But I think that if you say, you know, okay, if my microbiome isn't dialed in really well and I eat these vegetables, it's not going to agree with me on that problems. And so one of the nice things about, you know, a carnivorous diet is it, it, your microbiome doesn't seem to have that big of an effect. Now, I may be wrong because it's not been well studied, but it seems like, most people, when they give up the, the indigestible stuff, their intestines are like, wow, this is a lot better because I'm, everything I eat, I digest. And, you know, it's one of these big sort of myths that, you know, if you need fiber to have regular bowel function. I can tell you 10 months now, I have bowel movement every day. It's not anywhere near the amount I used to have when I was eating all these vegetables and stuff, but it's fine. There's no issues there. And I think most people that, that have done this will say the same thing. Now, some people will, when they first sort of transition over, they'll be like, wow, I'm not, I don't have a bowel movement for four or five days. They get concerned about that. It's just because you're not, and most of those people, when they first transition over, they don't eat that much. They're like, wow, a pound of meat is like a lot of meat for most people. Until you get to where I'm like me, I'm eating three, four, five, sometimes six pounds of meat a day, and I'm putting that volume through my system. And even despite that, I still have these, you know, very small stool So... I think that people that come to this, they, they start kind of dabbling. They're like, oh, I'm going to have a pound, maybe a pound and a half of meat, and they don't make much stool output. And they're like, oh, my gosh. you know. And I think the problem is they're just they're just, they're just not eating very much, and they're, not, they're, they're, they're absorbing everything they eat, and they're just not putting anything out. So I think that's what's happening. Uh, since I've been doing the study and been, I mean, I think the longest I did zero carb before was probably two weeks, and I wasn't solely focused on um, eating red meat. So that was a... And I feel much better on red meat, but uh, I noticed that I have become hungrier and that I've been eating more and more red meat and I've been losing weight. I think I've lost 14 pounds since we started. Wow, that's only 15 days. Yeah, I know. Good. (laughs) Well, I was traveling before we started and I wasn't eating well and I knew I was doing this program so well, I, was I mean like, obviously you know a lot of obviously you know a lot of that's gonna be water so you know it's you know, yes. you know that's for sure. But I mean you know I think this is the interesting thing because people, you know, there's this sort of big debate between calories calories don't matter versus it's all about the calories. And I, I think there's a compromise there. And I think if you ask me do calories matter, I would say yes they do, but to a point. 
You know, I agree. I, if I ate one gram of meat a day, I would probably lose weight. If I were to eat, if I were to force myself to eat ten pounds of meat a day, I would probably gain weight and probably gain body fat. Now, there's a, there's an area in between there, and I think your appetite regulates that. And, you know, but. And, and I think that's horrible. I think, you know, appetite regulation, desire to exercise, desire to you know, do different things, how much energy you expend that's not, you know, voluntary exercise are all really regulated by different biochemical processes. But the other thing is that we, you know, if I eat a pound of meat, you know, I can tell you how many calories in there. We can look it up and say, you know, a pound of meat right. has 900 calories or a thousand, whatever, whatever, what depends on how much fat's in there. Not all of that material goes to generating calories. A lot of that meat is either, you know, the amino acids are, are not turned into sugar. They're not turned into ready fuel. And so a lot of those things just go into structure. And so a lot of what we eat is not even turned into energy. And so if you're eating an all-meat diet, maybe 25% of that is just going into the structure for your body. And your body's taking those amino acids and using them to build stuff rather than generating energy. And so we have to we have to take that into account. There's a thermogenic effect of food. And your protein has a higher you know, thermogenic, you know, uh, 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 requirement than, than, than carbs or fat. And so I think when people eat an all-meat diet and they're like, wow, I'm eating really a lot, but I'm not gaining weight, I think there's some of that's going on. I think they're, you know, some of that material is going to structure, some of that material is it, it is being utilized to inefficiently to produce energy. Um, the other thing I think is interesting that we've been seeing, and, and again, this is all, it needs to be studied, but my thought is that when you, you know, you, you know, obviously our glucose is not zero. You know, this this myth that you have to have carbohydrates to fuel your brain, 130 grams a day is just is just silly. And the dietitians that say that are just, you know, they're just they're just not thinking. You know, because you you know, obviously I haven't had that much carbohydrate in years now, and probably you know, for weeks. Our brains are obviously our brains are working, we're functioning, and so what we're seeing. And what I'm seeing is very interesting to me is these guys are diabetics or people that are checking their blood glucose after a big, huge meal of protein, you know, meat, a meat-heavy protein meal, are seeing these really low blood glucoses, you know, and, and you know, you know, 80s, 90s, 70s, 60s, even for, for many of them. But I think what's going on is you know you're you're driving that glucose via largely through gluconeogenesis, and I think that's a very tightly controlled process that your body has, and so it's it, it's very well controlled. When you're taking big slugs of carbohydrate, whether it's starches or sugar, your body really isn't designed to handle that very often. So you see these really big surges in your blood sugar. So if you go, you know, you see these people that are playing with their continuous glucose monitor and that they eat a, you know, a bunch of cereal and milk, it'll shoot up their blood sugar, it'll shoot up to 170, 180, whereas they eat this big meal of meat. And most people are saying 80, 90, you know, a few people are going a little bit higher, 100, 110. But I think the majority of those people, you know, at least I, from what I've seen long term, the majority of those people that see that it just flattens out and starts to stabilize lower and lower and lower until where it's at a, at a pretty good level. I think gluconeogenesis may be the optimal way that we regulate blood glucose in body. I think it's. I think again. I think it. I think it, it warrants further study. Again, I don't. Again, I don't have all the answers. I don't pretend to do. I don't pretend to know everything. But I, I have these questions, and I think I'm, I'm making these observations. I'm like, well. This is very interesting. It's not what you you would think. You, uh, I, I am sure you look at the back end, but is it? Uh, it's probably pretty interesting to see, like what a hundred people are logging in for uh, on the the diet, and 
to compare it to that they're having similar results to what you're you're seeing in yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it certainly lends credence to that. It, it, you know, because again, there's people who point to me and say, well, you're just a, you know, you're just a metabolic outlier, you're a genetic freak, whatever. But like I said, it, you know, I can, you know, you and I can both go on Facebook and, and find hundreds of stories of people saying, yes, I feel great, my joints got better, my depression got better. That's all out there. The problem is, it's not well organized, and so you, you know, to, to, to scroll through ten years of Facebook is just not easy to do you know and of course you can find people that are saying i'm struggling at the same time and so that's and i think you, that needs to be understood too but what i what i'm seeing is you know we've got you know it's you know we'll probably by the time we're done with this we'll have a couple hundred people uh through this first first phase of what we're doing here and we're, we're all basically saying 90 days everybody do the same thing and let's just see what happens and yes i'm seeing people every day that say you know this medical condition got better already and it's just two weeks 15 days you know this you know, you know, there there are people that are really already seeing some pretty good results, and most of them aren't even transitioned over yet. You know, I think once you get to, because and I can tell you from experience, it took me probably a good two months before I really started to say, you know, I, I'm really starting to understand this. You know, and I think, you know, you, it's just, I wish I could articulate this better, but it's really hard to describe until you experience it. And I think the people that have done it, and I take my hats off to the people that have done this for seven, eight, nine, ten years that are out there, and they've, they've watched all these other people, they've brought them along, and they've got this really good wisdom about this stuff. Um, but, I, I, you know, like I said, I think there is something very powerful going on, and I think, you know, it really needs to get out to where people can understand that. And it's not like, you know, like I said, you know, there's so many people out there that have a magic supplement to sell or they have this magic formula or magic diet. And, you know, I, I just, I'm very skeptical. I think most of that's BS. I think people are out there ripping people off. I think it's, you know, they're, they're you know, some, some maybe more than others. But, I mean, certainly, you know, I, you know, one of the big things I always see is I see these people talking about, you know, a low-carb diet. And most of the information they're putting out there is pretty good and they've got, you know, some good advice. But then they follow it up with, and these are the supplements you need to, to help you get through. And so it's just a, it turns into a supplement sale, and I, I'm just not yeah. interested in doing that. You know, um, uh, you know that's just not who I am. You know, and I think that uh, as time goes by, you know, hopefully more and more people will, you know, just start to be more sort of proactive about it and be more, you know, just just say, look, this is what I'm doing. I don't bother you how you eat. You, you want to eat vegan? That's fine. I could care less. If you want to eat vegan or vegetarian, or, or standard diet, or junk food, that's up to them. But, I mean, if there are other people that have found something that works really well, you know, don't demonize them. Don't call them a bunch of murderers, and, you know, this is just ridiculous. I mean, it, it, and it doesn't help their cause either, you know. Well, that's what I like about the zero-carb or carnivore diet is that there is nothing else to worry about. It's just meat. And water, and for me, I add salt. I know there's a lot of zero, zero carbers who don't add salt. But the, um, like, I know a lot of people on a vegan diet, and then they have all this other crap. Like, they have this digestive enzymes and uh, B vitamins and, you know, all these other pill bottles. And I, my degree is in anthropology. I was an archaeologist before I um, started other stuff. And I'm like, you know, they didn't have... You know, a thousand years ago, or you know, let's say you know, five, two thousand years ago, or five thousand years ago, there wasn't like a supplement store where you could go and get 
blah blah blah, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, it's yeah like, I get about the, the the magic B12 tree that people were speaking out. You know, it's just it just doesn't exist. You know, it's just kind of uh, yeah. So I think if if your diet has to be supplemented, there's something wrong with that equation. There's something wrong with that picture. There shouldn't you shouldn't have to supplement your diet. Salt can be found in nature. In fact, you know, in for archaeologists, there's huge trade networks of salt. Even you sure. know. Yeah, it was, was a valuable so commodity that, back, you know, twenty, you know, three, four thousand years, two thousand years ago. I mean, that was, that was huge. But uh, that's why they. Yeah, I mean, there are the Romans said being worth. Oh, no, God, I was going to say there are people that will say, you know, the modern food is bad, the modern soil is bad, and you know, it's it's just because we're, we're, we're everything's so bad that we have to supplement that. And you know, I I think you know you can have a pretty bad diet where maybe. Taking some vitamins might be helpful, although most of the studies don't really show much benefit in that. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, I'm just going by my own experience, and that's, you know, and I, and I encourage other people to do that. I mean, you know, you have to, the way we, is that we, we sort of try to define health is, is you know, we, as the medical community, it says, well, you know, you, your lab should look like this, you know, chronic, for chronic collapse. You know, I'm not that I'm totally against lab bags, but I think in the acute setting, they have some very good utility. From a chronic setting, we're, we're seeing that a lot of them are so variable and changeable just on what you've done in the last couple of days that you may even not, whatever oh, yeah. it means. And then to, to, to tell somebody that comes into your office, and I've seen people examples of this that say, I've lost 25 pounds, I feel great. You know, all oh my my knees feel better. Everything feels great, and you get a blood cholesterol test that says your LDL up at 170 or 160, and the doctor says well, we got to put you on a drug. To me, oh, that's yeah, happening every hard. day. So to me, yeah. that needs to be reexamined. And if your doctor is doing that to you, you need to think about that. Is he being he or she being an impediment to you, or she have your health in mind? Because you know we we've, we've become so ingrained into looking at diagnostic lab tests, diagnostic imaging tests, and just saying, okay, you know, this is what we need to focus on. Because there's a lot of, there's also a lot of medical legal stuff that's tied into that for me. And so, you know, you get, you know, if somebody comes in with this lab value, you don't treat them, you're going to get some, you're going to get some, your eyebrows raised. And, you know, that, that, that may have a negative impact upon different aspects of your career. So, I mean, but the problem is we, we, we sort of take the person out of the equation, which I think is very sad, especially when they're trying to re regain their health. And I think, again, there are a lot of good things that medicine has done. There are great things that medicine has done. There's the acute care is wonderful. You know, even me as a trauma, as a surgeon, you know, I, I, there are things that I can do now that I never could, you know, people could never have done 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. So we, we've revolutionized that stuff. But when it comes to prevention and chronic care, which is about 90, 85 to 90% of all healthcare, we're doing a very bad job. And I think the, the, the message of, you know, let's just, let's just sort of manage these diseases with different pills and stuff like that is, is just not working. Well, and that's the goal of a lot of different uh, medical uh when I worked for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, that was their goal, to to find a pill that somebody could take for the rest of their life to keep them alive. I was like, well, that seems just ridiculous to me. And that's one of the reasons I left the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, because I thought, you know, we're just raising money to provide funding to drug companies to come up with drugs that people have to stay on for a right. life. So I, and they're not 
putting funding into nutrition information or, you know, testing nutrition or testing um, lifestyle or meditation or any of that. And I just thought that that was unethical. Well, it's, you know, like I said, there, there's a bottom line is, is money talks a lot of times. And, you know, that's, that's, a, you know, that's just, that's just life. You know, the problem is, and there is a little bit of stuff that gets put, put, put you know, put towards prevention, but it's minuscule. And like I said, if you are generating these millions, you know, I think there's a self-projection where I think by like 2030, maybe 2025, we'll have 180 million Americans with chronic disease. I mean, that's half the country is going to chronic disease, you know, and that's, I mean, that's unacceptable to me. I mean, we're, we, you're not designed to, to be diseased, you know. I, I think, you know, it's, it's just... Uh, it's, it's very, very frustrating. When I went to switched over from the high-carb, low-fat diet to paleo, like low-carb paleo, my asthma went away. I was on a huge, I was $80 a month was my copay for my asthma medication. Yeah, medication. yeah I mean, the financial, the, the, the cost of medicine is even becoming ridiculous for people that, I mean, literally, they work. They go to work so they can afford health care. You know, they can have a job to support their health care or afford their medicine. I mean, literally, I mean, they're like hamsters on a hamster wheel, running around to make enough money so I can pay for my disease. You know, it's it's just uh, that paradigm is, is you know, I, until people can see that that's not working. And again, I, I go back to the point. I, I you know, I've, I've had I was arguing with other doctors who are like, you know, my contention is. You need to figure out what's making you healthy right now, today, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a vegan diet, a vegetarian diet, a carnivore diet, exercising a certain way, you know, getting sleep, recovery, all those things that we, you know, other things I think that we can point in the right direction. We, you need to figure that out. And then whatever is making you as healthy as you can be today, by, by, the, by the metrics that you choose to, to determine that with it, that is as good as you're going to get. I think, you know, you can continue to see, check, 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 and see what things make, make you better. But to go in there and say, I'm healthier, I'm healthier, objectively, I feel better, I have better energy, I sleep better, my libido's better, my body composition's better, my strength's better, my energy's better, my joints don't hurt. And to go to a doctor's office and him to say, well, your, this lab value is not right, we need to put you on a drug, or whatever you're doing, change that diet because you may develop heart disease in 20 years. I think that's wrong-sided, that's narrow-minded, it's based on bad information. And so the biggest thing I would tell people is, Figure out what's working for you today, and if you're healthy at 40, the odds of you being healthy at 50 are much, much higher. You know, if you're if you're sick and tired and depressed at 40, the odds of you suddenly being healthy doing the same thing at 50 are not very good. So we have to get rid of that mindset that that we can't look at a lab test or or an epidemiology study to say what's going to, how our future is going to be predicted because that stuff is all got so many problems with the way that research is done. Even the even the straight-up randomized control trials, even the, the biochemistry studies, there are so many issues that are out there that people, you know, they, they just defer to authority, uh, their doctor, their whatever nutritionist, their, their you know, whatever person that, that guides their health, they defer to that. Uh, you know, and, and there's people that go out there and they, they get on Google and they read all the stuff, but there's so much stuff out there. If you type in diet into PubMed, you'll get nearly half a million articles no one can read all that stuff. I mean, it's impossible. You know, and, and, and if you spent 100 years reading all that, you would finally come up with an answer and would say, I don't know. The literature's too confusing. So I think you have to really take it upon yourself to, 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 to do these N equals 1 experiments uh, and really 
really be objective about what matters. There's so many people that, again, you know, we're, we're going to check some labs at the end of the study, hopefully, again, depending on the flight and stuff like that or what people are wanting to do. And I think that's fine. I don't personally, I, I don't care that much about it, but there's other people that do. There are people that are really, really obsessed about what's it going to do to my triglyceride to HDL ratio. And I'm like, I don't, it's probably, the, the thing that really matters, do your knees hurt anymore? How's your sleep? How's your energy? How's your depression? How's your libido? If those things are good, that true triglyceride to HCL risk is probably less important, even though it's probably a decent marker. But still, there's people that are fixated on this stuff. And then there's people that are fixated on you know, these little tiny things that probably we still don't understand half of what it means. And so that's that's the thing that, you know, it's not that I'm anti-science, uh, and, I, and I appreciate the work's being done. But again, I think we put too much faith in that stuff. And, 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 and I think we just don't know very much. We know so little about the body. We know a lot, but we know so little on a relative, you know, anybody that studies this, you know, you get down at the genetic transcriptional level, people will look at that and say, there are so many, literally millions of things going on that we don't even know about. And to tell me that you can look at one biochemical pathway and say, okay, well, that makes sense. Everybody should do this based on that is just, it's just fallacy. But if you think about like this neuros, the neuroscience is sort of a new science, but every thought we have produces a chemical and they've come up with a couple of them. They know what dopamine, serotonin and oxytocin are and endorphins. But I'm sure that's just four little chemicals from thoughts we have. I'm sure there's a ton of just different metabolic processes or different, you know, enzymes and chemicals being produced. By everything yeah, every every do. cell in our body has, I mean, literally probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of chemical reactions going on every, almost every second. You know, I mean, it's, this stuff is going on. There's just tons of it. So one of the things we have is with, you know, we take this flawed epidemiology research. It's all wildly confounded. And, and we'll, we'll come up with whatever. We'll say meat is bad, fruits and vegetables are good. And so we'll, we'll, we'll say that's what the epidemiology shows, so now we're going to prove it. And so we do, and it's very easy to do. All you got to do is say, you know, I'm going to take this chemical from a vegetable, and I think this vegetable is good because we have epidemiology, which is, will support that. And we're going to find some chemical reaction that it makes better. You know, there's there's three options. If you put a chemical, if you introduce a chemical into a chemical reaction, it's either going to have, have it go on a positive effect, a negative effect, or there's going to be no effect. There's only there's three options for it. And so if there's millions of those things going on, how hard is it to find one chemical reaction that supports your hypothesis? Not hard at all. Yeah, no. So you can you can basically make any argument you want, and it's all based on this house of cards, bad epidemiology. And so you can make this chemical reaction argument, um, and there's people that are very sophisticated in doing that. But I think the logic is you need to say what's going on with these people. And in my, you know, even with you know, you can look at a lab marker like C-reactive protein. That is a reasonably reliable. Uh, indicator of, of the inflammation in the body. People use that, and it's probably a pretty good tool, but there, there may be some things we don't know about that. And my, my, what I think is more appropriate is, is if you have knee pain or shoulder pain or some sort of irritation, and your diet corrects that and makes it go away, that is more powerful than getting a C-reactive protein study, in my view, because that's yeah, what's actually the end result of this. And the C-reactive protein is just an associational marker that it's probably accurate a lot of times, but it may not be accurate all the time. And so I think we, we just have these, again, again, I keep harping on this, don't get infatuated with lab values. You know, you have to look what's going on to you, look in the mirror, be objective about it, 
and, and that's how you determine how you're eating healthier. Well, I think, though, uh, I mean, I agree with you and that what, how you look, feel, and perform is what Rob Wolf says is really the best indicator of what the diet's doing for you. But I also think that if you have lab values, it's good to say, like, hey, 90 people or, you know, peop- 100 and so many people did 90 days of this. They still went poop. They still, um, they felt good. You know, some people's hair that was falling out grew back and, and people performed better. And here's what the values look like. And they are healthier people. So it's something that, you know, you were talking about. There's people who volunteered to analyze the data and publish the results that there will be at least one more of a thousand, you know, thousands of studies out there at least saying something like, we've done a study, and yes, you are perfectly healthy eating an all-meat diet. Well, the other, the other argument you can make about this is, and I think this is something that, and I, and I touched on this in another part, you know, the lab values that we have that are, that are reference values, you know, we can look at someone's thyroid level, and we can see what their TSH is, and free T3, you know, their T3 or something like that, or, or any number you want to look at, there are reference values that were established a lot of them in the 1960s, 50s, 60s, 70s, those were all based on populations that are eating a standard diet back then. So, you know, you look at these people and you say, what is a population eating 60% of their diet on carbohydrates and 40% of that is grain? What do their labs look like? And then, and then and they say, that is an oral range. And now we, now we have this other population. Like a lot of people go on these low-carb or carnivore diets, and they notice that their, you know, their T3 level, their thyroid level goes down. Uh, and then their thyroid stimulating hormone, which is supposed to go up in that case, because if it's low, it's supposed to, you're supposed to secrete more of that. It's more complicated than that, but basically, as that thyroid stimulating hormone goes up, it, it, it causes you to, to hopefully reduce your thyroid to secrete more thyroid hormone. Um, and so, but that's not happening. And I think what's going on is, you know, these people are just resetting to a different caliber to a different level. And so they're, they, maybe they don't need as much for, you know, T3 floating around in the system if you're on an all-meat diet. Maybe that's, maybe it's higher when you're on a, a carbohydrate-based diet. So those, that's where lab bags can be helpful because you can have people that, that really depend on that stuff to say, wait a minute, you're on a low-carb diet and your, your thyroid hormone is a little low. I'm going to start you on thyroid hormone, even though you don't have any symptoms, and even though you may never have symptoms on this diet. But, but there's people out there that are so, you know, it's like a reflex. This lab is bad. Here's a drug for that. And so if we can prevent some of that by getting labs. That's fine. I just don't think that we have to sort of, I, you know, I can tell you, I cannot tell you how many people have come to me with an MRI that shows a little bulge in the disc in their back. And if you, and, and there, it probably has no impact on their health. I mean, probably none. If you look at a bunch of healthy asymptomatic people and you get those scans, a lot of them will show bulges in their disc and no problems. But there are certain people that will fixate on that. And, I mean, they will they will literally, their life will revolve around this tiny little disc bulge. So I think you have people that fixate on these things and they, don't, they just don't appreciate, you know, the big picture. That's great information. I just, I... Uh... I think it's great that you are doing the study and, and checking out, and we're going to be doing the lab values. And something that I'm appreciative of, it, it's motivated me to be more consistent about sticking to it, to zero carbs. Yeah, I think that's, I think, again, the study and all that, and again, I think 
I think the people that are doing this, you know, some of them are, a lot of them are doing it. I've heard, you know, I've listened, I've read every single comment, every email I've gotten, it's hundreds of these, okay? And a lot of people are telling me, because I'm in a study, it makes me more willing to, to, to stick it out. Because I'm in a study and I'm contributing to knowledge for other people, it makes me more willing to stick it out. Because I'm in a study and all the other people are doing it at the exact same time as me, and we're all going through the same thing at the same time, you know, you've got this group camaraderie that helps them to stick to it. So I think that's another benefit of doing it this way rather than just having – you know, this person on Facebook, this person on Facebook, because they're all going through different things. So you've got this little built-in internal support group, which I think is fun. We're trying to have a little fun with it. You know, you see me on social media. How's everybody doing on day 12? And it's kind of a story that hopefully captivates the interest of a larger audience. And then if we can attract more people to do this, then we can really say, hey, you know, it's not one person. It's not 100 people. Maybe it's 1,000 people. Maybe it's 5,000 people. Maybe it's 100,000 people. Who knows, you know, how many people would be willing to try this. And if they, and if, if a significant proportion, proportion of those people regain their health, that is wonderful. Now, if it doesn't work out that way and I'm wrong and, you know, it's all about just a uh, sort of a uh, smoke and mirrors, you know, it's all this mass hypnosis and, you know, I'm, I'm somehow hypnotizing people into thinking that they're going to be healthier. Uh, you know, and, you know, there, there is, there, that, that can happen. But I mean, I don't think this is going on. But, but if it turns out that all these people are getting better, then, you know, hopefully we can impact, you know, at a higher level this, this, this nutritional policy. We're saying, wait a minute, you're going to, you know, you're going to make, uh, you, you know, you've got, you've got this big policy push for, Grains and fruits and vegetables and, and whole, you know healthy whole grains and all that stuff. And we're going to drive policy and make it financially difficult for people to eat red meat. Uh, we need to stop and think about that because look what it's doing to our tour. You know, look what it's potentially positive. How is it potentially positive for health and how is it potentially negative to our health? And so, you know, I've got some early feedback that maybe depending on the results of this, we might be able to get some more formal study, maybe some NIH money, maybe. Uh, maybe some time with some politicians that, that affect policy and stuff. So it's, it's early, you know, speculate on that stuff, but still it's exciting for me and it's exciting. I think for, you know, again, my goal as a, as a, as a physician, this is a person is trying to do something good. And, you know, I, I think this is something that potentially could be very good. I, well, I, I, I appreciate the effort that you're putting into it. And, and definitely being a part of study has helped me stay on track because I went on a, to a meditation retreat. And in the past, when I've done zero carb, because there's a lot of vegetarians and vegans who go, oh, sure, I yeah. would have just <laughs> eaten. I would have gone along with what they were eating just to not, you know, cause a ruckus. And instead, I cooked up a bunch of chicken and took my own food and ate my own food. And said, you know, I'm in the study, and uh, and that definitely was a big motivator. If I wasn't in the study, I probably would have just eaten what they had. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, and I think again, that's that. I mean, if some people use it as an excuse, you know, and I think that's fine. You know, I mean, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to defend how we eat. You know, it's 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 hey, it's my body. I'll eat what I want to eat. If it's a, you know, at least in the U.S., you know, it's a free country. It's available to me, and it's and more importantly, most importantly. It's making a positive impact on my health. Now, if that's not the case, don't eat it. I, I tell people, if my health were to get bad on this diet, I would abandon it in one second. I wouldn't even think about it. You know, if I if my athletic performance started to suck, 
I would like, wait a minute, I need car. Yeah, like, no way. There would be no hesitation on my part. And so that's the difference between what I'm doing because this is way, way, way on the extreme side, right? You know, from a dietary perspective, it's way extreme. There's only a very small people in the world that, that today, in 2007, eat that way. You know, if we were to roll the clock back 50,000 years, an all-meat diet would probably be like, yeah, that's what we all do. Or, you know, most of the time, because we're killing big animals, and there's not many people, there's a lot of animals, and, and the vegetables don't taste very good because we haven't learned how to cultivate it yet. And, you know, the berries are already in season right now. So eating meat predominantly or almost all the time was probably, I mean, I wasn't there, I don't know, but we've got pretty good fossil, well, you said you did anthropology, so we've got pretty good archaeology. Records. There's a, yeah, there's a I mean, ton the of fossil, records. The of... fossil records are pretty compelling. The radioisotope dating is pretty compelling. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's something we've done forever. And so to, 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 to stick you and I back in a time zone and put us on an all-meat diet, our neighbors would say, well, yeah, that's, that's what we all do, probably. But today, it's weird. And But the difference, like I'm saying, is I'm doing it for my health. There's no other reason. I don't have an ethical reason. I don't have an environmental reason. I think there's things we can do to make those things better, certainly. But this is purely about health. And I think that's the difference between sort of a vegetarian or a vegan particular, where they're like, I don't care. I will never eat another animal, even if I get sick, which I think is... That in itself is an illness. To have that attitude is is literally an illness. You know, I see these people saying, "Well, put up with this horrible digestive pain. Put up with this, you know, feeling sad. Put up with this, you know, expense. This is the difficulty preparing meals because it's all for the animals. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you ethically." To me, that is just a it's a shame. And it's, and it's unfair to the people that do it. And, you know, there's, and it's, and it's a lot of kids. I mean, it's a lot of young kids that get suck, sucked into this stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Have you had anybody report in their notes that they were, aside from taking a little while to adapt, that they were really, their health declined? No, you know, it's no, I can't, no, I mean, I don't have all the data, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking at all the data, all I'm seeing is on the forum right now, Matt has all the data, but I have not seen, again, and again, I can only report what I've seen, and so I have seen a number of people that say my energy is low, a lot of them are giving up coffee, so there's, you know, they have issues giving up coffee, which is not surprising, uh, I've seen some people say I haven't had many bowel movements, uh, I've had some people that, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's mostly sort of lethargy, you know, there's a couple of people that said they didn't sleep particularly well. Uh, I think some, some people, some people said they, had, they felt like they had to get up to the night urinate more. But none of this, you know, but, but then that's in the background. All these people are saying, my energy is wonderful. My sleep is great. Uh, you know, and this is the dominant thing I've seen. If I looked, if I were to go through and you know, look at that, uh, my strength is getting better. I've lost body fat. I've lost body weight. I feel better. And so I think, you know, I, you know, I don't know how long it takes to transition. You know, if you look at the zero carb groups, they'll say it's a three to eight week transition period. Uh, that's pretty consistent with, you know, like if you're coming from a high carb diet to a, a ketogenic diet, where you where you switch over for, you know, utilizing fat as a primary source of fuel. And so that's probably there's some issues with that. I think that, uh, you know, I think there's, I think there's psychological. It takes longer psychologically to adapt to this than it does physically. I think physically you feel pretty good relatively earlier. You can't. Many people do. The hardest thing is the psychological and the cultural adaptation because you've got to sit there and think, well, I normally would eat. You've got habits. I normally would eat something. I have something I want to snack on, something crunchy. Or, you know, it's, you've got these just sort of little habits that you've developed. And then there's this cultural thing. You know, you've got this everywhere you go, cheap, 
carbohydrates are everywhere. I mean, it's, if you go to somebody's house, you know, they're cookies, candy, you know, offered food, you go to an office, there's all this junk everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. At a gas station, you know, anywhere you go. I mean, I went to the dump the other day to take some stuff. And I mean, they literally, well, it wasn't for me, it was for my dog. You're going to be my dog and hug biscuits, you know. And it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of everywhere. And so I think the hardest part, in my view, at least in my experience, is the, the cultural and psychological adaptation. I don't think the physical is necessarily that bad once you get through the first few weeks, but then it becomes a psychological thing. And I think the way that a lot of people get through this is say, it's one day, you just take it one day at a time. What am I going to eat today? I'm going to eat a nice ribeye. Who doesn't look forward to that? I can, I'm, I'm sure every time you eat a ribeye, it tastes bad. No, I mean, it, those things taste it doesn't. really good. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's not that I have to eat meat, it's I get to eat meat every meal. And I think you, if you look, if you take that attitude, I get to eat a ribeye steak every friggin' meal. Are you kidding me? You know, there's people, if you, if you took some peasant in China and said, hey, man, maybe sign me up for that. You know, they, you know because they're, they're used to being nutrient-deprived, and, you know, meat is a delicacy for a lot of the world. And we are so fortunate to be able to afford this, you know. And that's the thing with, can we, is it within our power, and is it within our will to, do what it takes in the world to allow other people to experience it. To take third world Asia, third world Africa, and to allow them access to this wonderful, nutrient-dense, delicious, you know, life-giving, health-giving, you know, product. And, and, and do we have the will to do that? Or are we just going to say, hey, there's a lot of people, we can make grains real cheap, we can make soybeans and wheat and corn real, real cheap, and we can flavor it so it tastes good, and they can get their calories, and we can feed them. And so that's, I think that's where the dichotomy is. And so, you know, the studies like this and people that are willing to step up and say, look, this may really impact our health. And then we have to say, how do we go in the future? And I think, I think the direction I see things going is not the way I want them to go. You know, there's about a lot of things, but I mean, as far as with nutrition, I think if we do not really turn into tide, and I think it's, I think people are going to be passive. There's not enough people. So you got to get a lot of people involved. And if people passively do that, you know, the, the, the grocery store is going to be more and more of this plant-based meat, and the meat section is going to shrink and shrink and shrink, and it's probably going to get more expensive. And, you know, it's going to, you know, be, you know, something that that is just a historical thing, you know, and, and, and that's going to, I think that's going to take our, our species and ruin it, quite honestly. So, I, well... I have the same concerns, and I agree, unfortunately. It seems like plant-based, especially that What the Health movie, I've heard a zillion people talk about it, and it's just frustrating to me that the it's just not real data that they're using. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, you know, I can commiserate, I commiserate. Here's why I agree with the vegan doctors, and I disagree with them wholeheartedly on a lot of things. They have a desire to get people off of drugs and, you know, avoid the complications of, of you know, disease, just like I do. And what they do for some people does seem to work a little bit, because if you take someone who's eating a bunch of sugar and garbage, and you take that out of their diet, and you put them on a plant-based diet, probably they'll get better. And a lot of people do. Now, if they go vegan, it's harder because they got a supplement. It's really hard to get protein. It's hard to get all the nutrition you need. You can do it, but it's very hard. But at the same time, they throw the baby out with the bathwater because then they're saying, well, I'm going to throw out 
this red meat based on this bad epidemiology. Well, I'm seeing the same thing happen, you know, with people that eat meat. Yeah, and then, you know, and again, they, I, you can go through, you know, I'm writing a book on this, and I can go through the literature, and I can make any argument I want. I can cherry-pick the data, and that's what they do. They just cherry-pick the data, and they pick the story however they want it to. And you, you, you can do anything. You can, you can have an all-potato diet. You can make a book for that. There's a guy that did that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I did the all potato diet because I followed someone's directions. Yeah, because I, you know, I'm willing to try anything. Yeah, but, I, but, uh, but I mean, you can make that argument. You can make a scientific argument for that. That's fine. But I think the problem with that is you can mislead a lot of people with that. And, you know, like I said, best test. Is not what it, what's in PubMed. It's not what your doctor says. It's not what the National Health Services say. It's what's going on in your life right now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And that's what really counts. And so, you know, however, whatever it takes to get there, that's what you need to do. And, you know, there's there's people that there's a, there's a car. People say, oh, if I go, if I go start taking cocaine, I'll feel really good. To me, that's a stupid argument. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't last very long. You, know, you look at people that do that. Right, and eventually your health degrees. Right, but I guess it's not even a long period of time. You know, if you if you started snorting cocaine every day, within a year your life would be ruined probably, or maybe, I don't know. You know what I mean? Or heroin or methamphetamine. You're getting high. That's not the same as improving your health. You know, and so I, I you know, that, that to the people that counter me with that argument, I think is so ridiculous. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not even worth debating. But I mean, but I mean, you know, long term, you know, you can, you can, people, have a good idea when they're not healthy, when they're sick. Right? And people can, or at least they can tell relatively. You know, there's people that sit around and they think they're healthy and are actually kind of sick. But there's, but you can you can tell relative change. You know, if you're if you're you know if you're you know got some some aches and pains, but you think that's part of life. But you're better than 85 percent of the people in the world because you can do these things. But then if you if you suddenly do something and those aches and pains go away completely, like in, in my case, you know, I had these aches. I was I was 50 years old. You know, I beat my body pretty bad, and I had these aches and pains, but now they're gone. I mean, literally. And people don't believe me when I say that, but I mean, you can look what I'm doing in the gym. And people that do what I'm doing are not creaking around with aches and pains. So that stuff goes away. So I, I've just sort of, you know, raised the notch up one more level. And so to me, that's pretty exciting. But, but I can tell. And people that say that you can't tell, I think you're just. You know, they've, they've got some supplement to sell you, or they're they're trying to scare you out doing what's right for you. How old are you now, Sean? Yeah, so I'll be fifty-one. Well, I'll be fifty-one in January, so fifty and a half. Well, you know, whatever that is, fifty in eight months, something like that. Yeah. My and you look. I mean, if people follow you on Twitter at. Um it's under Dr. Sean Baker or at S. S. Baker. S. Baker. S. Baker. And, you know, you have recordings of your weightlifting, kettlebell swinging, and you look fit. So you're not looking like you're you're on the back end of, uh, you know, your middle age falling apart. You know, I mean, like I said, I swung a... 176 pound kettlebell 50 times in a row. I mean, there are very few people of any age in the world that can do that. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I mean, not in, if you just take out 50 year olds, but I mean, any age, not many people can do that. You know, the cost of two rowing times that I have world records, the times that I do, there are very few people in the world of any age that can do it. And, you know, as far as 50 year olds, I'm beaten way above almost any other 50 year old. So. 
How long did you, so you said you really saw the difference at, at 60 days, like that you were like, all right, this is, you know, remarkably different or you're feeling better. Yeah, is that I, why you made the study 90 days long? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, that. Yeah, I mean for me, yeah, at about the 60-day mark, I just did pretty good. What I consider, see, I've been training well. I've worked six years in the gym without missing more than a week or so. Very aware of what I'm capable of and what I do. And I, I did these really significant improvements uh, that were very objective. I mean, I could objectively say, well, I, well you, know, you know, the nice thing about either rolling or lifting weights, if you know objective, I mean, it's pretty, the technique, my technique, my technique didn't get better. I've been doing this stuff for 36 years. So it's not like it was a technical improvement or a neuromuscular efficiency because I've been doing this stuff forever. So I mean, it's flat out, I was getting stronger. But as far as the study was concerned, you know, one of the things is, you know, why we made it 90 days. Well, I mean, I'd like to do it for a year, quite honestly, but I just don't think I can get that many people set to commit for a year. It's too far unknown. 30 days we thought was too short because a lot of people would be transitioning most of the time. Uh, you know, if you were coming from a standard diet, you may spend the entire three or four weeks just adapting to the diet. And that might take three weeks to turn over, you know, you know transition over, you know, fuel selection may take three weeks to go over, you know, and, and so... 90 days is kind of a, it gets most people through the transition. Uh, I think it's long enough to where, like, we want to look at a hemoglobin A1C. Hemoglobin A1C reflects roughly your last 90 days of blood glucose. So we can test that at the end. So we've got a pretty good idea what people's blood glucose is doing over 90 days. Not that I think that is, an, I think it's important, but I don't think it's the only picture right now. I know we've got this big thing about blood glucose is going to change the world. I think that's a part of the equation, but not everything. You know, I think that uh, there are other factors besides blood glucose that impact health. The, um, and also, if for since you said you were want, you would like people on a year's study, if there's people who finish their 90 days and want to continue, do you want to just keep them on the study? Yeah, so Matt and I have talked about that. And yes, Edith, that will be an option. You know, we want to make it, you know, right now it's pretty laborious to enter all that data, you know, every time you have a bottle, every meal you eat, you know, all these different things. And so we're we're trying to make that easier to input. So it may be just something like we say, you know, this is a protocol and it's just a yes or no. Did you do it today? And you just check yes. You know, I eat meat, drink water today. That's easy. And then if you say no, then you can say, what did I do? It was off protocol. Hey, I had, uh, you know, I had whatever, some cheese or something, you know, whatever, whatever, however we define that protocol. So we're going to try to make it easier. So, yes, we would love people to continue if they want to. If they want to continue to contribute data, that would be that would be wonderful. Uh, we also like to, you know, right now, again, I want to emphasize this. This is a proof of concept venture. You know, this isn't New England Journal of Medicine randomized controlled trial, change the world study. This is just can we do it? Can we get... 100, 200, 300 people to all participate, record data, and then get an output. We don't really care what the output is. I don't really care. I just want to make sure we can do it. And then if we, and then if it, if it indicates, you know, there's probably some good stuff coming out of this, then we can start to tighten it up and say, okay, now we really want to, you know, maybe we get a control group. You know, maybe we, we test some markers ahead of time. Like, there's, like a, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think there's some epidemiologic evidence and some clinical evidence that supports that there is some hormonal improvement on a zero-carb diet. So, you know, it, for, for me as a male, it maybe does it, does it cause an increase in testosterone. You know, you could argue, you know, maybe that doesn't really mean anything or not, but, but certainly we, we've seen guys talk about, and women too, my libido gets better 
you know. Well, that's huge. I mean, for a lot of people who are on having the option of taking a pro, uh, was it testosterone or like eating meat? Right. You don't have to get Viagra. Right. I well, think. exactly. And that's a, that's a, that's a, I think that's a valid question. So maybe, you know, in January we say, okay, we need 100 people that are on a regular diet that are willing to do this because we've, we've shown that other people can do it, right? There's other, it's already shown to be relatively safe, you know. Can we get 100 people to say, okay, let's draw our testosterone, free testosterone, whatever, whatever metric we want to look at on day one? Do 90 days of meat or 60 days of meat or whatever, whatever we decide we want to do, and then draw the draw the same labs at the end and see if it make a difference. But again, I don't want to get too hung up on lab values because it, the lab values may not directly correlate, but also track things like, you know, libido, you know, capacity for erections, things like that. You know, or mood. You know, all those things that go into the clinical effects of, of say testosterone. You know, for you know, for people that you know, they'll, what they'll do is they'll say. Do you have low testosterone? Do you have poor energy? Are you depressed? Do you have a hard time with libido or actions, things like that? And they'll say, well, those are symptoms of low testosterone, and we'll draw your blood test, and your testosterone is low, and so now we'll stick you on a testosterone supplement. And I think we have to re-examine that paradigm as well. I think you have to say, well, there are things that maybe are causing your testosterone to be low, and maybe your diet, and maybe that you're not eating enough freaking red meat. And maybe if you nothing but red meat for three months, your testosterone level would boost up and all those things would go away. I don't know if that's the answer. I don't know if that's true or not. I can tell you clinically, personally, mine works very, very well. I mean, you know, uh, you know, without getting any details, but I mean, it's just, you know, and, and, and it's an improvement from where, where, where I was two or three years ago on well, the ketogenic diet. So I think it's interesting. Oh, that is interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, not that I care how much of what you're doing there, but I think that it's, you know, it's ketogenic diets becoming very popular, and um, I know that I feel better now that I've been on a couple weeks of um, mostly red meat than I did when I followed a ketogenic diet where I had a lot more variety right. of foods and I ate a lot more fish and chicken, and I noticed. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, you know, the ketogenic diet works pretty well for a lot of people. I did it for almost three years, so I mean, I was pretty, you know, low, you know, low carb, high fat ketogenic. I did that for three years or so, and I think that was, you know, I think it's effective for a lot of people. But I think the shortcomings to that are, you know, you are there's much more variety. You can make whatever you want. You know, you can you can figure out what keto way to make any type of food, just about bread, dessert, sweet stuff. You know, you can do those things, but you know, you still are kind of stuck to that. With this this diet here, it's very sort of monotonous on paper, but man, every meal is good. It's so simple. It's so easy. You don't have to think. You don't have to calculate anything. It's just eat. It's just, it's just like every other damn animal on the planet. And, and you know, the fact that it makes you feel healthy, you know, relatively, I think is interesting. And I think maybe, just maybe, we're designed like every other animal on the planet. I know it's a crazy sort of thought. That's a novel concept. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, we've, we've got this sort of perception where we've got to just keep you know, figuring it out, figuring it out, figuring out, do these labs and figure out everybody's different. I'm like every single human on the planet, their DNA is 99.9% .9 the same and they're all human beings. You know, is it, is everybody on the planet going to thrive on this diet? I don't think so. I think there's people, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons why people wouldn't, but I think it's worth looking at testing and finding out for yourself. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Sean. I'm going to stop our recording for the um, interview, but I'll talk to you after about fundraising.
Sounds good. All right. All right.